Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Death accelerates the growth of a church. Death of Stephen, first martyr. What happened? Church. The church actually went on mission. That church actually became obedient to Jesus when Stephen died, and then the church turned the world upside down. It was death. Death can't win. Death is an enemy. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't just bring in sin into the world. They brought sin and death into this world. Death is an enemy. It is not an enemy that should be feared by you and I. Death doesn't win. Death does not win. Jesus has won. Jesus is one. We can fear a lot of things in our day-to-day lives. Financial fears, relationship woes, and mental and especially physical anxieties can ruin our foundation. Yet we know that in the face of the greatest fear, death, Jesus has overcome it. As the age-old hymn goes, why should we worry and fear? Pastor James emphasizes that the eternal consequence of death was forever defeated with Jesus' sacrifice. Today, rejoice in knowing that death truly has no sting in the life that Jesus has given you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 8 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. All right, so we're in the Gospel of Mark. And so you understand, we just went back into chapter five and we we're talking about the demon-possessed man and why your story matters, right? Your testimony matters so much. It really does. I think it matters way more than what we actually realize. I really believe it matters so much more than what we'll ever really know here on this earth. Your, the ripple effect of your introduction to Jesus and your surrender to Jesus, I think goes far beyond what you'll probably ever realize here on this planet. Okay, Uh, maybe when you get to heaven, I don't know how it works in heaven. Okay, to be honest with you, I know there's a lot of worshiping, and and that's and I'm excited for that. Like in the presence of Jesus, it's going to be awesome, ruling, reigning, all that type of stuff. I don't understand what that means for the most part. So I don't know if you're going to meet people who say like, "Hey, thank you so much." That may happen. People speculate about that all the time. That could happen. I don't doubt that. And then you feel like, yeah, that's cool. So it was all worth it. I can tell you right now, this side of heaven, it is all worth it. And you don't need that moment in heaven to realize that, because I can tell you right now, by faith, it is worth it. You telling your story, sharing your story about the gospel of Jesus and how it has forever changed your life, it is totally worth it. Absolutely worth it, okay? So we walked through that. Just wanted to you know, use that as a reminder before we moved on into the rest of the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to finish out chapter 8. So if you don't mind, look at uh, verse 27. But there's some really good stuff today, really, really good stuff that might be a little bit challenging, especially for our American brains, okay? So just hold on. We're still friends. We'll still be friends at the end. Okay, this is a good passage of Scripture. Verse 27 says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? Okay, so we've gone through this whole thing of, you know, the feeding of the 4,000. That's in that Decapolis area, that Gentile region there in, in Israel. And then the Pharisees demanding signs from, you know, Jesus to authenticate the fact that he's the Messiah, although he just multiplied fish and bread, you know. 
It's not a magic trick. It's actually a miracle. Uh, He defied physics by doing that. He healed the blind man. And then we go from those stories and into this next setting where Peter's going to make this great proclamation about who Jesus is. But before we get to that, they're going through there, and Jesus asks them a question. And this is an important question for you and I as Christians today, to understand who do people say Jesus is, okay? This is important for you and I. It's, now, the more important thing for you personally is who do you say he is, but I also want to challenge you to understand what do other people say about Jesus, and do you know that? Do you know that? You cannot live in a Christian bubble your entire existence on this planet. You can't live in isolation, okay, on this planet. You need to be aware of what other people believe and what other people think about Jesus. You have to. Now, that may be scary for you because you're like, oh, I don't want to know because maybe that'll influence me. Who do you say Jesus is? Then you hold fast to that. You have to know what other people think about him. You have to. And if we're not asking those questions, then what are we doing? Are we hiding? There's no such thing as a secret saint. There's no such thing as undercover disciples. Okay? The world doesn't need that. The world needs Christians who are asking questions of them. Hey, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? We don't talk about religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a real person. I'm talking about a man who lived. What do you think about him? Who do you say Jesus is? That's a great non-threatening question to ask anybody. I've asked that of other people, of other faiths, other religions. A Muslim is having conversations with a Muslim. We could talk about Jesus. People don't mind talking about Jesus, and people definitely don't mind expressing their opinions on who they think he is. And I love that Jesus is here. He's asking his disciples, hey, what are other people saying about me? And they know because they're hearing. They're in tune. They, they know what other people are saying. You and I, we need to know what other people are saying about Jesus, which means we have to engage them in conversations about Jesus. But I may not have the answers. You may not, and that's okay. Nobody said any of us were going to have all of the answers. Pressure's off. Nobody's expecting you to have all the answers, okay? What you do have, though, is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who can provide for you the right answer at the right time. But you also have this thing which Christians definitely need to, we need to make sure we're exercising this as much as possible. We have this thing called humility, where if somebody does ask you a question, you say, I don't know. I don't know. But let me ramble on for a while and see if we can get there eventually. Don't ever do that. Do not ever do that, okay? Because out of many words, a fool proclaims himself basically, right? Like, no, just say, I don't know. I don't know, but here's what I'll do. I'll go find out. I'll go do my homework. I'll go do my homework. And then let's meet again. This is a brilliant thing. If somebody's asking you questions, you say, you know what? Give me a week, and then let's meet back. Let's have some coffee, and let's talk about this. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. But we got to be willing to do that. we got to be willing to engage people, even if they don't believe the same way we believe. We have to be willing to engage them and just ask them simple questions. Because I think Jesus is asking his followers this question, but I also believe that he's asking you and I this question today. What do others say about me? Christians living in this world, in this world, but not of this world, are you aware of what's going on in the world in which you occupy space? What does this world say about Jesus? We know the common things. I can answer a lot of these for you right now. He's a good teacher, okay? We've heard that before. Prophet, he's a prophet. Those of the Islam faith, Muslims, would say, well, he was a great man. He was a great man. He was a prophet, prophet of God. 
They would go so far as to say that. Even other people that run in the, what we would call, and I don't think this is correct, but the Christian circle, you know, some different groups within that, like let's say Mormons. I don't believe Mormons and biblical Christians are on the same level because we don't believe in the same God. They have a different answer for Jesus. Jehovah's Witness friends, they have a different answer for Jesus than what the Bible says. But you need to know what those are. You got to know what those are. The atheist has a different answer for who Jesus is than what the Bible says. Good man, moral man, right? All that stuff. And you're like, well, I love C.S. Lewis' answer to that. He's like, look, the guy was either insane or he's the Messiah, right? He's either just absolutely insane or he is the Messiah. And all scriptures point to the fact that Peter's proclamation of who Jesus is, as we're going to see in a second, is absolutely correct. But let's read through their list, okay? Verse 26, it says, they reply, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Matthew's gospel would specify that and say, some would say you're Jeremiah, which is weird to me. But so they believe that you're like the incarnation of John the Baptist. And we know Herod, that was his thought. It's like John the Baptist come back from the dead, right? He just executed John the Baptist. And then we've already gone through that story where he thinks like, oh no, he's back and he's going to get me, right? Because he's guilt-ridden. That was circulating around this time period. He's John the Baptist. He's Elijah. And they were anticipating Elijah returning because he went up in that fiery chariot, right? So they're thinking Elijah's going to come back. So they have all these answers for who they assume he is, who they think he is, but none of those answers are correct. And let me tell you that most of these answers are coming from, well, they're coming from hopeful people who are expecting Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah. But you also have to include within this some religious people as well. And the majority of the religious people, quote unquote, in Jesus's day had no clue as to who he was. They had no clue as to who he was. In fact, they're the ones who are leading up the headhunt for Jesus. They're the ones who want to kill Jesus. More than anybody else on the planet, when he was walking around in the early ADs, nobody else wanted to kill Jesus more than the religious people. They had no clue who he was. So they throw out these answers. They're just walking along. Um, I want to show you guys some maths just because it helps me looking at maths. But I circled Caesarea Philippi that's up there in that north, like I said, that northern region of, of Israel. You're getting really close to uh, Syria and all that good stuff. Damascus is up there. Mount Hermon is right in that area. This is a beautiful, beautiful place. But the location they believe that this story happened, this is Caesarea Philippi. They had these temples that were built there, and they had like a little amphitheater type thing. Actually, it was a dance floor, because, you know, who doesn't like dancing? But all this is in ruins now, and they believe that this, really, this is the location where Jesus and his disciples are having this conversation, okay? I've been there a few times, a beautiful place. You see that giant hole over there to the left side of the screen? That's where one of those temples used to exist. And there's actually a hole in there, and... It was funny because I think the last time I was out there, the thought is like that hole is like the entrance to the abyss, right? And so I'm like, you're like, I don't want to go near that thing. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But it was fascinating that they dropped that there. And then what Jesus would go on to say in Matthew's gospel, when Peter answers this rightly, Jesus says the gates of Hades will not prevail against this. And they reference like, well, that's like where it's coming from. Like that'd be the gates of Hades. Gates of Hades technically means just death. It doesn't mean hell. It means death, okay? Anyways, so that's what it looks like now. Here's a mountainous region up there. Uh, what's funny is when you're driving up there, 
there's all these fields with cows walking around, and there's these signs posted every so often. It says, watch your step because of landmines. And we're driving up there in a bus, and I'm seeing all these cows walking around. And I'm like, uh, is nobody else nervous about this? Like, there's hamburger on the menu today because, like, these cows are everywhere, and there's, like, landmines everywhere. But anyways, this is the region where Jesus and his disciples are hanging out for this story, okay? Beautiful snow-capped mountain. Snow melt comes, you know, just there's rivers that flow there and all these waterfalls, and just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Maybe not what you think when you picture Israel, right? Anyways, so that is to create a good visual in your head. That's the region where this conversation is happening, okay? So it's not in the desert. It's, out, it's actually at the foot of the mountains, very mountainous region, beautiful region, lots of water, you know, rivers are flowing and all that good stuff. And Jesus is asking his disciples very important questions. Number one, do you know what other people believe? That's an important question for you and I. And we label that apologetics nowadays. Do you know what people believe? You should know what other people believe. You just should, okay? And there's tons of resources out there nowadays where you can get a good understanding without having to go too far into certain things of what other people, other faith groups, religions, whatever you want to call them, what they believe. Christians should have a handle on what other people believe out there. You just should. You're like, this sounds like too much work. I'm going to say in a loving way, quit being lazy and do the work because you never know who you're going to encounter. You never know when that, you know, that elder is going to show up at your house and knock on your door, Right? And you can engage them in a conversation where you can stand firm on what you believe, and even more so because you know where they're coming from. When the Jehovah's Witness shows up and is like, no, 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 your Bible translation's wrong. We use the New World Translation. You're like, well, that's garbage, okay? Because you guys don't even know what Greek means, right? Like, we don't use that translation. But you can show them in a loving way, now this is what we believe. I know where you're coming from. And then it helps you to ask questions of people. That's the greatest thing about it. You can ask them questions because you've already done the homework and you just engage them. It's like, hey, why do you guys believe this? Hey, why do you believe that? Or where do you find that in the Bible? It's just a brilliant tactic. The other thing, and the last thing I'll, I'll say on this is it communicates respect, that you actually care about them. You're not trying to out intellect them or anything like that because that's not our goal. Our goal is to love them and to point them to Jesus. And you show them respect by actually knowing something about their religion. You just do. And it's just a brilliant thing. But I love that Jesus having this walk in, you know, through Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and he's asking them just a question of like, hey, so what are people saying about me? Not like, I need to know because my ego needs a boost, but like, he's checking them. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? So they gave their answer. Then he asked him, verse 29, really the most important question. That's why I highlighted it in red. But who do you say I am? It's one thing to know what other people say about Jesus, but it's a whole other thing that you know who he is. Because you can know all the right answers. You can know what other people believe. You can even know things about Jesus and how to answer the questions the right way. But this isn't that question. This isn't like, what do you know about me? What have you heard about me? Who do you say I am? That's a very pointed question directed at the heart of these individuals he's talking to. And it translates 2,000 plus years later to today in Calvary Galveston, where Jesus is asking that question still. But who do you say I am? 
understand this. You do not get to define who Jesus is. We do not get to define who he is. Because if we did that, we would have this custom-built Messiah and build him to our likings. He's like, no, no, you don't get to define me, but you do have to answer the question, who am I to you? Who do you say I am? I love Peter. He's got like this like brashness about him, right? Like he's just like, he's that guy. Maybe you're that guy, I don't know, or you're not that person and you have that friend, right? Who's just like, just bold as can be. Like they don't even need time. Like just boom, here's what I think. Here's what I think. And they're loud and they're just all in all the time. That's Peter. Who do you say I am? Peter replies, you're the Messiah. I don't even think he gave the other guys a chance to respond. I just don't think so. Jesus drops that question. Peter's like, whoa, 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 me. Like he's doing that thing like, oh, oh, me, me, pick me. I don't even think he raised his hand because Peter doesn't raise his hand, right? He's just like, this is who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one God sent to be the savior of our sins. You're the one who was sent to save us. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the one we've read about as little kids growing up in our little Jewish homes, reading the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies concerning you. You are that guy. Your prophecy fulfilled today. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I love it because Mark doesn't really go into Jesus's response to that, but Matthew does. And Jesus is like, Peter, he's like, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father. So it's like God gave him that little insight right then and right there. He's like, you didn't learn this from your school. You didn't learn it from a textbook. God just gave you that revelation. God just illuminated your brain to understanding who I am. Now, did he fully understand who he was? No, no. Because even in that answer, he's like, the Messiah, the conquering king, you're Lord. That's who you are. She's like, right on. That's awesome. Matthew would even go on to say like, and Peter, you're uh, Petros, little rock, you know? And on this truth, I'll build my church. I'll build my kingdom. Petra, big, massive, boulder. Peter, little rock, okay? And the church was not built upon Peter. I don't know why we got that twisted. The church and the kingdom, it's not built upon Peter. It's built upon the proclamation of who Jesus is. All churches should be built upon the foundation of who Jesus is and not some knucklehead who talks about Jesus. There's a big difference there. Churches built upon personality, that's a dangerous thing. You want a church that's built upon the foundational truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the deal. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. And then Jesus would go on to say, you know, the gates of Hades will not prevail against this and all that good stuff. And I alluded to that for a second there, but I do want to bring some clarification to that because a lot of people interpret that as the gates of hell. And what we think in our brain is like that Satan's in hell, which he's not in hell right now. Hope we understand that. He's not in hell right now, okay? And that he's got his army of demons and they're just at the gates of hell looking to bust out and to come storm the gates of the church and all that. That's not what it's talking about. Hades is death. Hades is death. And what he's saying there is even death can't conquer the church. In fact, death accelerates the growth of a church. Death of Stephen, first martyr. What happened? Church. The church actually went on mission. That church actually became obedient to Jesus when Stephen died, and then the church turned the world upside down. It was death. Death can't win. Death is an enemy. When Adam and Eve sinned, 
They didn't just bring in sin into the world. They brought sin and death into this world. Death is an enemy, but it is not an enemy that should be feared by you and I. Death doesn't win. Death does not win. Jesus has won. Jesus is one. The church will prevail. There's nothing that can stop the church. Nothing on this planet that can stop the church. No mandates, no rules, no laws, no nothing. Nothing will ever stop the church. Nothing. So stand confident in who you are. And the church isn't a building. It's not an organization. It's a body. It's an organism, right? And I love that. Jesus just went off on the, Peter's right answer. You ever do that in school where like teacher asks a question and you're like, this is finally one I know. And you give the answer and you just feel like so good, right? Like, yes, I remember that. I didn't give many answers in school. For whatever reason, I remember giving only a handful of right answers. I'm oh like, only a handful of right answers. And I remember doing that in school and the teacher like, you know, acknowledging that and praising it. It just makes you feel so good. Like, yes, I do know something, right? Like, maybe not much, but I know something. And I can imagine how Peter is feeling right now where he's like, Jesus is like, bingo, Peter, you got it. That's amazing. And then he expounds on that. And then in a few breaths later, you know, Peter just goes a little too far. <laughs> he's like, oh, Peter, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long to go from a right answer to a very wrong answer, okay, for most of us. But here's what happens. They make this proclamation, all that good stuff. Verse 31 says, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, and he would be killed. But, but, three days later would rise again, would rise from the dead, As he talked about this openly, transparently, with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him, or the other word is rebuke him. And it's not just once. The Greek says he was repeatedly rebuking Jesus for saying such things. This is like moments later. Peter makes this great proclamation. Wow, amazing, fantastic. Jesus is like, okay, Good. So, you know, I'm the Messiah. Then you know that I came to die, that I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be rejected. I have to die. But, however, the point that they all missed, I'm going to raise again from the grave three days later. Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, come here. We need to talk. I hate that. We need to talk. I hate it when that happens. I absolutely hate that because it's never good. Although sometimes it is good, but most of you know, this thing happens inside of us where you're like, oh no, what now? All right. I can imagine Peter's like, hey, Jesus, you know, like, hey, come over. He pulls Jesus aside, the Messiah, that he just proclaimed as the Messiah, Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, and you reprimand him. He's like, dude, you got to stop talking about this stuff. Why are you telling them? Because I'm sure that's what Peter's saying right now, not us, but them. Why are you telling them that you're going to die? What is wrong with you? Jesus, don't you get it? You're messing things up. Stop talking about dying. People don't want to hear about you dying. People don't want to listen to that. We've been gaining crowds, but you keep sending them away by saying these crazy things. The crowds were growing. The Gospel of John tells us that after Jesus had fed the 5,000, the crowds were growing, John chapter 6, and they're pressing in, and they want to make him king. And Jesus says, hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And a majority of the group left him on that day. 
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.